Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 46 of the Bible in 90 Days. We're in Psalm 135 through Proverbs 6. That means today we finish the book of Psalms and begin one of my favorite books, the book of Proverbs. Psalm 135 is an invitation to praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. The psalm observes, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. It celebrates his power to provide for the created world and his deliverance of Israel from her enemies, while also noting the futility of idols. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Psalm 136 is an invitation to gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The psalm recounts numerous reasons for gratitude, each followed with the phrase, His love endures forever. The reasons include, Who by his understanding made the heavens, to him who divided the Red Sea asunder, to him who struck down great kings, and he remembered us in our low estate. Psalm 137 is a psalm of grief. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? The psalm includes these lines spoken against the captors. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Psalm 138 is a psalm of praise and an invitation to praise. It includes these beautiful lines. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Psalm 139, a psalm, by the way, you should read by David, is a magnificent reflection on God's intimate interest in human beings. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. The psalm ends with these words. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 140 is a prayer for deliverance. Rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. Psalm 141 is a prayer with two basic themes. First, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil. This theme, longing for holiness, 
is followed with a prayer against David's enemies and for deliverance. My eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers. Psalm 142 is a prayer also for deliverance when in the cave hiding from Saul. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Psalm 143 is another prayer for deliverance. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Psalm 144 is both a song of praise for God's deliverance and a prayer for deliverance. The early lines include, He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Then the psalmist ponders, Lord, what are human beings that you care for them, mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. Psalm 145 is a celebration of God's goodness. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Psalm 146 urges, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings, who cannot save. Then the psalm reminds the reader that God is the maker of heaven and earth and that he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. Psalm 147 is a celebration of God's power as creator and sustainer. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. Psalm 148 is an invitation for all creation to praise God, from angels to celestial lights, to sea creatures, to trees, to cattle, to insects and birds, children and rulers. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. Psalm 149 is an invitation to praise and a prayer for strength against their enemies. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword 
in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations. Psalm 150, the final psalm, is a delightful hymn of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. The book ends, fittingly, with these words. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Proverbs, our next book, is a book of wisdom. And as noted at the beginning, it's one of my favorites. It's attributed to Solomon, king of Israel, son of David. The book fills an important place in the text of Scripture, helping us understand that trouble isn't fundamentally due to random chance, nor is it the arbitrary act of God. Rather, the author highlights the cause and effect nature of reality. I mention this, acknowledging that Ecclesiastes, the following book, puzzles over this apparent randomness in life, evil coming on the good, good coming on the evil. However, when we reach the end of that book, Ecclesiastes, we'll notice that by that point, the author settles down on the conviction that doing life God's way is the wiser choice. Now, let's dig into Proverbs. Proverbs 1 sets out the goal of the book, provide wisdom and insight for living well, stating, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon urges, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. He then warns his son against falling in with the wrong crowd in pursuit of stolen wealth, because these men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. After this, the chapter transitions to a first-person narrative by a personified wisdom beginning. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? This personified wisdom then goes on to observe that those who reject wisdom will fall into disaster, while wisdom stands by laughing and then utters this sober warning. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Proverbs 2 finds Solomon urging his son to seek wisdom and understanding as for hidden treasure, assuring the lad, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Solomon follows this with assurances of the benefits of such a course. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman. The chapter ends, For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Proverbs 3 
Let me just say at the outset of this chapter that parts of Proverbs will prove difficult, if not impossible, to highlight because the chapters don't necessarily have neat themes. Now to chapter 3. It begins, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. The chapter largely focuses on the overflowing benefits of choosing to follow God's way, the way of wisdom. Then you will go on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. The last third of the chapter includes a few lines of specific counsel, such as, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Proverbs 4 urges, The beginning of wisdom is this, Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. The chapter essentially follows this theme. The writer encouraging his son over and over again to seek, cherish, and follow the way of wisdom. The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. The author assures this son that these words are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Counseling also, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 5, the entire chapter is a warning against adultery. The lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. Solomon also offers these sage words. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. And this one. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Proverbs 6 is one of those challenging chapters to summarize. One of those chapters I alluded to a few, a couple chapters ago. So I'll share just a few lines from this chapter. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler yet. It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. The second half of the chapter is essentially a warning against lust. 
These words are keeping you from your neighbor's wife, from the smooth talk of a wayward woman. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. And also this strong warning on the subject. A man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. And that's all for today.